Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Business Fun Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Wakeman. Today's episode is brought to you by my friends at Booking Protect, the global leaders in refund protection. Any listing, any sector, anywhere, Booking Protect has you covered with the world's most comprehensive refund protection product. To find out how you and your organization can partner with Booking Protect to deliver world-class customer service, a better, more customized buying experience, and how you and your organization can create a brand new stream of revenue for you. Visit them at www.bookingprotect.com. That address again is www.bookingprotect.com. While I'm on the subject of Booking Protect, will you be in Sydney, Australia on the 14th and 15th of November to see me and Booking Protect CEO Simon Mab at the Ticketing Professionals Conference of Australia? I'm going to be giving the opening keynote on change. I'm going to talk about risk, reward, uh, change. Obviously, it's in the title of the talk, innovation, and a whole lot more. I'll also be doing a sports business panel with NTIC's board member, Derek Palmer. And Simon's going to be doing two talks, one about customer service, and he'll be on a panel about fraud prevention. So we'd love to see you there. You can get your tickets for the Ticketing Professionals Conference by visiting their website, www.ticketingprofessionals.com.au. Again, that's www.ticketingprofessionals.com.au. Finally, I want to mention that you should be getting my team's new newsletter. It's once a week on Friday called Talking Tickets. It's for people who obviously are listening to this podcast because it's all about people who are marketing and selling the live experience. Talking Tickets is five stories that you should have been paying to this week with a little bullet, two or three sentences about why the story is important and how you should be approaching it. It's that simple. You can get the newsletter by signing up on my website going to www.davewakeman.com and clicking on the link that says Get Talking Tickets. It's that simple. It's free. So go to my website, davewakeman.com, and look for the link to Get Talking Tickets. It'll send you right there where you need to go to get the Talking Tickets newsletter. My guest today is Garrett Nolan from Levity Live. Garrett is a good friend of the Business of Fun podcast. I think that in one of life's great comedies. Garrett was my original mentor when I joined Intix. Granted, I had probably been Garrett's uh, mentor for years before that, so this was one of those things that we laugh about all the time. Um, we had a really fun conversation. This was a chance just to catch up with Garrett because I haven't had a chance to catch up with him very much since he moved from the D.C. area to California, and I figured what better way to do it than on the podcast. Um at Levity Live, he is really building out a ticketing system, an operation for the entire organization where they have not had one before. So this was very cool to find out what goes into something like that. Uh, we talked about the difference between selling comedy tickets and selling other kinds of tickets. We talked about the black keys at the Wiltern. We talked about uh, comedy. Um, well, I said that already. We talked about innovation, leadership, marketing. We talked about you know, what improv in Hollywood means. We talked about, um, you know, mom and pop atmosphere uh, that has had to be overcome. We talked about all kinds of really great ideas. We covered um, on-sale dates. 
Um, we talked about third-party sales. We talked about the secondary market. We even made a plug-in for um, some of the new ideas that Garrett has been putting in place at Levity Live. So this is a really great conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Garrett Nolan on The Business of Fun. I want to welcome Garrett Nolan to The Business of Fun. Garrett, what's up, man? Living the dream, as always. Oh, I know Out here in are. sunny California. <laughs> I know you are. I th- I feel responsible a little bit for your suntan, is you know, in, in my own special way. Um, <laughs> this has been one of those podcasts. It's been a long time coming because uh, you have. We have been talking about doing this thing for, almost since I started this sucker. So I hope we let people down. I hope that we we're disappointing. And uh, no, I'm joking. I, I think we're gonna we'll have fun. This will be like one of those ones where it's like two guys like uh, that have gone drinking he- heavily together and are like catching up. So this will be great for everybody. Um, so let me start out with like the big news, which is that you just started a new job recently at Levity Live, and you they created a new department specifically for you. I mean, that's pretty great right I, I mean i always said you were special my little special snowflake and all but can you tell me exactly what it is you're working on and what this new department's like yeah oh great what a, what what an introduction right there <laughs> um yeah so long-winded uh, yes yes so just to give people a little bit of a background in case you don't know that the, the name too well levity live um we are there's there's a few different facets of our business. One is the live division, which I'm a part of. Uh, we manage or license uh, comedy clubs across the uh, across the country. The brand that everybody's probably heard of is the Improv. Um, we have some that we own and operate uh, directly, and then we have others that are licensed out, similar to a restaurant franchise. Um, another part of our company is uh, artist management. So basically the agents for comedians uh, that, that tour around the country. And we also have a production arm that, uh, that they do a, a lot of reality shows like AMC is one of our, our owners. Um, so like <clears throat> the show, a very Brady renovation that's on um, HGTV uh, that just came out uh, where they bought the old Brady bounce, Brady bunch house in the, in the Valley and renovated it and turned it into a show. Um, that's part of, <laughs> that's part of my company as well. So, but like I said, I'm in the live division. So working at the, all the comedy venues and what, uh, since this company in its current form is only about 18 months old, uh, when we bought the improv brand, um, in, in 2000, um, spring of 2018, I believe it was a lot of the clubs were kind of handling the ticketing on their own, or it was just the individual bookers that were just building the shows in the ticketing system. So one of the things with having a corporate ticketing department, and really when I say department, it's just me for right now, um, to kind of come in, standardize all the processes across our ticketing system uh, to make sure that all the artist info uh, is appearing correctly, making sure all of the pricing is inputted correctly. There's nothing worse than when you go to do an event settlement and find that the pricing is off or there's an issue and then the company ends up having to, you know, eat money because we got to pay out the artist um, because there was a mistake in the ticketing system. Um, so kind of standardizing all the reporting and everything like that to make it easy for for finance and accounting. Uh, and also, you know, providing training across the the owned and operated venues that we uh, that we have across the country uh, to, like I said, to, to standardize everything. So that's kind of been a. Uh, you know, step one, kind of coming in, jumping right into that. 
then along those other lines, uh, kind of why I think that the company was attracted to me is to kind of use my expertise in other areas uh, in the ticketing world in terms of you know, pricing and revenue generation, which I know is, you know, revenue is a big thing, uh, a, a big thing for you. The, um, so looking at different things like what our, for example, what our service fee structure is, that's actually been a big project that I've been working on for the last, uh, you know, four to six weeks. Um, you know, looking at, what you know, basically we had a, a single service fee structure for all of our markets and that's not necessarily, you know, the best, that's not necessarily going to be the best fit. It's not a one size fits all. Raleigh is going to be a lot different than Southern California. So kind of taking a look at that and also, you know, trying to optimize our service fees so that obviously we can, you know, makes a little bit more revenue for us without trying to take away from ticket sales or anything like that. Um, also, you know, things like, uh, things like ticket insurance, is that something that we should be, is that something that we should be offering and how can we, how you know can my we answer is that? yes. Yes, I know. <laughs> and, uh, and again, and, and, and I would, it would definitely be something that I'm, that I would want to do too. Uh, just can't, uh, you know, I'm not the one that would, it wouldn't be my signature <laughs> necessarily on the, uh, on the contract there. So, um, but, uh, yeah, so just kind of other, other projects like that of how we can kind of bring our comedy ticketing world into, into the 21st, into the 21st century. I think we're a little bit behind, uh, in things like just the, the comedy club model in general. Uh, and it's not a bad thing. Not, not trying to, not trying to bad mouth everybody. Cause it's a very, very tight knit community. Um, you know, everybody, everybody seems to know each other. Um, but I think it's a little, um, sometimes it gets a little mom and popish. And especially for a larger company like us, it's like we still want to maintain that that atmosphere. But there's just things that uh, you know, things that you can do to kind of you know bring it more into lines with how the how the world in the ticketing space operates in the 21st century. Yeah, I mean that makes sense too. Because the thing is, is like you don't want to lose the essence of what a comedy show is, or like that sort of like um, really like small close knit community thing. But at the same time probably the important thing and all kidding aside is like your focus on processes and revenue is very important because the thing is, is like you can still do a great job of ticketing across the board um, that gives people a little bit more security in what they're doing. You know, it helps people buy the tickets more easily because maybe if they're not, uh, you know, have, haven't modernized the ticket buying process, um, it won't, it makes it so that people aren't necessarily buying them when you would like them to. So you can't necessarily manage your, you know, the inventory or like what, you know, staffing for your shows and all these things. I mean, it's really just like a very important idea. And I, you know, there's a lot of places that maybe, you know, are just sort of still emerging into modernizing their ticket system. So it's not just comedy, you know, it's, you know, you see it a lot still, even with like some of the lower, lower leagues of baseball, right. Um, you know, minor leagues in a lot of places and it's, it's a difficult process. And I think like, it's really a wise decision. And I'm not saying this cause I'm your friend, but it's a wise decision <laughs> that they, they hired somebody who, um, you know, has your background and like your experience and, you know, having worked on all these like crazy things you've worked on, to manage that process because it could go awry very easily. And it's very, very important. 
Yeah, and, and it's it's been interesting. Sometimes I bring stuff up that just raises eyebrows just because people have never even, you know, never thought about it or just it never really considered to apply that um, something, you know, into our space. Like, for example, one of the one of the issues that one of our clubs was having was that they had a, a, a high profile comedian who had, you know, somewhat I guess you want to can call it a residency. Basically, they were doing a show there every week. And, you know, being a comedy club, the tickets are, I, I guess, what you would call reasonably priced, you know, $30, $40. Like, there's very few. It's it's not like a concert where you're going to see $150, $200, you know, standard tickets. You know, maybe a VIP package or something like that gets into that price range. But just normally, you know, you're looking at $30 or $40, give or take. So you have an A-list comedian. The show would kind of just go on sale with no kind of no marketing background, no anything. It would just be put up and put on sale and people would snap up those tickets pretty quickly. And then all of a sudden you see those tickets for two to three times that on the secondary market and everybody, or I shouldn't say everybody, but people would then complain. They're like, Oh, well scalpers, they're getting the tickets and you know, we're not getting that money and da da da, and, and all the negative things that people have about third party sales, which, you know, I, I get, but my response to that is, you know, are you pricing your tickets optimally if they're kind of just going up, going on sale and, you know, they're not, you know, I get the, I get the argument of keeping tickets at a low price. Of course you want to take care of your fans and things like that. Okay, great. But you have people like they're not ending up in those, th- th- those tickets aren't ending up in the hands of the people that you want them in. Um, I understand exactly what you're but, saying. Uh, so it, like, so to, to finish the story, to get, to get back into ticketing and not uh, drugs. Um, so one of the things that we looked at for this particular club is, well, if the artist really doesn't want tickets in the hands of third parties, there are things that you can do. So we, you know, we use using our ticketing system, we restricted orders, you know, we restricted the amount of tickets that people can buy at one time. We uh, set it to be, uh, you know, to be will call only. So basically like a check in process where you have to um, where you have to you know, show an ID and the person buying the tickets has to be the one that, that you know, that, that comes in that that comes in that night. Um, and it's also, you know, and that's that's certainly worked in cutting down the tickets on the on the on the secondary market. Also, kind of the secondary issue of that is uh, fraud. Um, we've had a few instances where you know the day of the show, all of a sudden, a bunch of tickets get snapped up. Uh, you know, it might be somebody that had uh, you know illicitly obtained credit card numbers or things like that. Um, so by kind of keeping those restrictions in place, you can cut down. Um, you know, on tickets in the secondary market and tickets, you know, potential fraudulent orders uh, and, and things like that. Um, so that's so for this particular club, you know, that was something that I was able to work with them and kind of accomplish the goals that they wanted. Um, you know, and, and again, I'm not I'm not anti secondary market. Um, sometimes our hands get tied. But what the artist wants, um, you know, I think there are opportunities to, you know, maybe partner with other folks to increase the amount of sales channels that you have. But I mean, there, there isn't just one blanket solution. I'm not saying that like, Oh, you need to make deals with every broker under the sun or, Oh, you need to restrict everything at all times. Um, you know, there's just, 
there's there's different situations with subtleties and nuance and you kind of just um you know that that's why it's good that we have a ticketing department now so we can kind of take a look at the needs for all of the different venues and you know be able to put something together that's in everybody's best interest yeah i and i appreciate the fact that um people have a hard time or you know a certain feeling about the secondary market um and i know that i i'm also i'm not sensitive to it because i don't really care about the um the idea that people think i'm too close to the secondary market because I really am just sort of practical about it at this point, right? It's that like a lot of times the secondary market is vital to a lot of ticketed shows because, um, you know, the venue or the artist or the promoter or someone else may not have the marketing reach that's necessary to make sure that the tickets get out there or it might be a risk mitigation thing, or it should it could be any number of things. And it's really important in the context of what you're talking about because, you know, the comedy club idea is almost built on the fact that, like, let me get you in the door and I give you the two-drink minimum. Uh, but, like, you know, I'm going to make more money off of you, so I want to just get you in and have a good time, you know, pump you full of food and drink, right? Um, maybe you even get a t-shirt or some swag or something, you know, like a whole, you know, it's built around a whole experience, which I think is very valuable. So these decisions you're talking about, I think people need to really think of them as marketing decisions as much as anything else, which you kind of alluded to at the start, because all of these things are marketing decisions, right? Like it's like, do I want tickets at all on the secondary market? So then if not, let me make decisions that will be consistent with that. Do I want a few tickets to get through to the secondary market because there's value in people finding tickets on the secondary market and be like, oh, that must be a that's a hot show. Who knew that this person was playing at this venue? You know, those, those they're all marketing decisions, and I think they're very, very important. And so, you know, having a thoughtful conversation about that, I think, is like is really wise. Um, now, let me ask you about another thing that I know. It, because we kind of touched on marketing, we touched on the, the difference between comedy and everything else. Uh, within that, we've talked about probably innovation because, like a lot of the, cl- the the clubs that you work with, are innovating now because they're changing the way they've operated their business and they're kind of growing and discovering new things and doing new things. Um, one thing I know that's like just happened right down the street from your house that you brought up as wanting to talk about. And I think it's informative of like some of the situations that you deal with on an ongoing basis that you dealt with. And that like it's and the other thing is controversial to get clicks on the podcast. So we forget it. Let's talk about the Black Keys and the Will and the show at the Will Turn. Um, I haven't even asked you what your opinion is on this thing or, you know, you know, your point of view on it. But I know that it'll get downloads and listens. So what, what do you think about this? <laughs> um. It's funny. So I saw that the show was going to go on sale and the show was going to go on sale. It was only going to be a week in between the show or excuse me, a week in between the on sale and when the show was going to happen at the Wiltern, which for, for those who don't know, the Wiltern is, is kind of a famous venue here in L.A., but it's a small venue. It's it's less than 2000 seats. So it's definitely a it, it's it's not it's not a big arena. Uh, it's a very intimate venue to, to watch, uh, to, to, to watch a music act. So, um, a show Especially like the, one Black- the size of the black keys, correct. The show yeah. like the black keys would be a very, it would be a very interesting and intimate venue and certainly a great experience for all those that are attending. The black keys are also going out on a major tour. This particular venue is not going to be one that generates a lot of revenue for them. 
um, you know, compared to playing like major arenas in some other uh, in some other markets across the country. So, you know, from what and, and from what I gather, I don't really have any inside information on this. It's just kind of what I've read from, you know, people links, people posting on the on the Internet. Um, they decided that they really wanted the tickets to be, quote, for the fans. And for the reasons I described, I get it like this, not going to make a lot of money for them you know, in terms of revenue generation compared to other shows on the tour. And this would be a pretty cool experience, a really, you know, an Instagrammable moment, if you will. Live um, my life for the for, gram, Garrett. Yeah, Live exactly. Doing it for the gram. And uh, so this would be, this is, a, this is kind of a really cool thing. And like we were talking about before, the artists kind of, you know, we can sit here as ticketing professionals and talk about and, you know, pontificate and finger wag all we want about, how yes, there you go. Dave just did the the finger wag um, right in my face. So the <clears throat> the artist wanted tickets to be in the hands of their quote unquote true fans. So they took advantage of a platform on Ticketmaster um, called uh, I think it was it Safe Safe Ticks I believe. Yes, it was uh, the is, first time that they had rolled yeah. out the use of Safe Ticks. So that's um, important. Basically, you know, basically their their. Um, like their <clears throat> rotating QR codes, uh, mobile only tickets. So basically they can't be transferred. They can't be duplicated because that QR code is going to be invalid at every 30 seconds. So it's effectively going to limit any kind of transfer or third, uh, third party ticket sales. The person buying the ticket is a person that needs to use the ticket, you know? Okay, fine. And now, again, a lot of people and, and people I, I saw a lot of articles on the Internet, uh, you know, people with access to grind against Ticketmaster um, people, you know, brokers obviously were, were not were not happy about it. And, and I get it. But it kind of goes back to everything that I that I've said about the artist is the one that's going to set the policy on their ticket. And we as ticketing professionals at the end of the day you know, we kind of have to do what they want. We can, you know, ticketing companies are going to offer various suites of products um, to be able to, to, you know, do different things. But this is, this was the decision that the black keys wanted to make. And from the looks of it, it sounds like maybe the communication of that wasn't the best. Again, I can't, I can't speak for it. Um, you know, it's just what I've read other people saying, and maybe that's true. And that's certainly important, but the actual, you know, what they were actually trying to accomplish, like I get it. And as somebody that's now dealing with small, intimate venues, as opposed to amphitheaters and, you know, big arenas or like bigger theaters, like something that I was used to in, in past jobs, I understand why they want to do that. Um, you know, and it's just, it's kind of funny to me that all the people, you know, and I, again, I'm speaking in generalities. I mean, I'm sure most people don't really have that strong of an opinion on it, I'll but the ones that I specifics saw, the, in a second. It's the, the vocal, the vocal, the vocal, you know, minority that I saw on the internet in the ticketing industry, you know, are all people that maybe, you know, they're coming at it from their own perspective and not just looking at it from, uh, you know, from the big picture, you know, because they, like I said, because they or their organization has, you know, something against Ticketmaster or because they're a broker or something like that. So I just, I kind of found it funny. Um, and I, I made a post about it on LinkedIn and kind of gave an abbreviated version of what I just, you know, said here. And, 
it was interesting the amount the responses I got and I got responses not necessarily, you know, LinkedIn isn't like Twitter or Facebook where people will just necessarily comment, you know, publicly. There aren't a but lot I of brokers got, on LinkedIn. I got some I got some interesting DMs um, and I, I got some new connections for it, too, believe it or not. Like people at different venues um, actually reached out like I won't mention them by name, um, but I got um, and it's funny before we started this, too, I actually got another like there's, I've had this message thread going on LinkedIn, uh, for, for about a week. Uh, and it's with somebody, um, you know, somebody at a venue in the Midwest is like, never met him before. They had the show coming to their venue and it's like, yep, I I've been in ticketing for 10 years and I agree a hundred percent with what you're saying. And I think, I think they actually had the show last night, which is why I was getting the follow-up emails, having a chance to read them yet. But, um, it'll just be interesting to see like how, the show, uh, you know, how the show went for him compared to the Wiltern, uh, an intimate, uh, you know, we're talking a large arena versus a, a small venue like the uh, Wiltern. So that'll be, uh, that'll be interesting to see. Yeah. I, I mean, from what I see, the, the ticketing for the, 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 the tour is a little bit not great uh, as far as sales go as far, but the, the, the more interesting thing is the specific um, case of the show at the Wiltern, right? And it, it shows first, you know, number one, this is something that I'm like universal about is that like if you as a band, as an organization have built this asset, right? And your asset is basically your brand and you have this thing, the, the ability to market and sell to an audience, right? And you, you know, in, in the case of the Black Keys selling a show at the Wiltern, they don't need Ticketmaster. They don't need the Wiltern. They don't need anybody. They, they have created a fan base that will buy that thing right away, right? So they don't need all any support. They should be able to do whatever the hell they want to with the tickets because they've earned that right, right? Um, the problem comes with, like, if you didn't notify and you didn't let fans know before beforehand that, like, there was, you know, there's no transferability or whatever the things were, you know, that's a, if that's the case, that's a legitimate gripe for people, right? Uh, I mean, that that's – that's the thing. The larger issue that becomes though is, um, you know, is, is like, what is the right place for all of this technology and some of these, you know, the, you get, you're, you're walking a balance between protection, uh, security of the ticket, uh, you know, fraud prevention, um, transferability, partnering with the secondary market, not partnering with the secondary market, all these things. Um, and, and they're really complex. And to be honest, most fans don't need to know or care what's going on. They just need to know if they buy a ticket, they can get in this show. Um, you know, and I, my concern would be that cases like this open the door to another example of, you know, the industry like kind of hurting itself, like, you know, harming itself because most of the people don't care and don't know, don't care about all of this stuff, the behind the scenes stuff, nor should they. Right. I mean, that's the, I don't care how my milk got to the grocery store. I just know that I want it. Right. And that I, it better not be spoiled. And, you know, if I go to Trader Joe's and the milk is kind of um, rancid and screwed up a couple of times, that's going to ruin my impression of Trader Joe's. I, I worry that stuff like this, um, is like becomes like you know the battle between the brokers and the primary market and Ticketmaster, and I'm shocked that brokers were complaining about something. Um, it's really amazing. <laughs> no, that me. never happens. That absolutely never happens. I have not heard a broker ever complain about anything. They are the most even-headed group of people and the most rational bunch I've ever encountered. I mean, my God, that these people—if they weren't brokers, they should be neuroscientists, right? I mean, like in most cases. <laughs> 
Um, and there, there's actually some really nice guys and girls in, in the secondary market. I'm just saying as a group, oh, no, a mess, they like complain like crazy. It's, uh, it's awesome. Um, but the thing and, then, about- and then the venues are the ones that need to fix their screw ups because it's always the venue's fault. It's well, never. It's always know. somebody else's fault, right? I mean, this yeah. is this is this doesn't have to be just a broker thing. This is just like in general, like if you fucked up, say it. <laughs> I mean, just like please. Um, but you know, I, I worry that stuff like this comes up and it happens, and um, you know, it just gives the industry a black eye, and you know, and it's and, and that's that's the big issue I have with it um, because I mean, I applaud anybody who has spent the time and dedicated the resources and the attention to building a fan base and, and creating an asset like the fan club, right? You know, like they have their fan club um, and that they can use to sell tickets to their show and they can generate a substantial amount of business out of that fan club because I think that that really is a key to success for a lot of artists, right? Is having a fan club and the email list, um, you know, assets that they, they own that, that are theirs, um, you know, that, so that they're not relying on the, the venue or Ticketmaster or, or tickets.com or any, or the venues or anybody to market for them. They're able to do the marketing for themselves. Um, you know, so I applaud that. And I just, you know, I'm, I'm always concerned because, you know, there's all kinds of rumors floating around about like the use of safe ticks and like whether or not the thing was communicated correctly or if it was like sprung on people at the last second or then the black keys were putting premium tickets on sale. I, I just worry that the whole thing will detract from, you know, the people going to shows and, you know, and I know that I don't have the exact number in front of me, but it's like somewhere between 47 and 53% of tickets that Ticketmaster sell never get sold. I know that Stephen Glicken, when he was on the podcast said, Oh, there's like $56 billion worth of tickets. They go unsold empty seats galore has must have a hundred thousand Twitter followers now because every night, whoever's running, I'm one of them. Yeah. Oh yeah. Me too. Uh, running that thing shows that how many empty seats there are at basketball, hockey, baseball, everywhere right um you you know it's i just worry that like you know doing all these things you're taking away from like the real big opportunity which is marketing and selling effectively which i know is something you talk about a lot um and getting people into the venues so i mean that's sort of my take on it not that anybody cares well maybe (laughs) actually they do because they're listening to the podcast that's yeah that's why we're listening here um but yeah and and it's interesting too like you mentioned kind of the ticketing industry shooting itself in the foot with things like that and I, and I kind of agree. I don't know what an effect it would necessarily have on ticket sales, at least from a concert or comedy show, kind of a one a, a one off night event, because it's like you want to go and see X artist like you're going to go. I don't think the ticketing system matters too much or the service fees matter too much. Like, yeah, people are going to complain about it. But at the end of the day, you have a great night at the show. Fine. You know, no worries. The issue that I can see coming is like the federal government getting involved in stuff. And you mentioned like, you know, people don't need to know, um, you know, people don't need to know about their tickets or or things like that. And I mean, I kind of get it. I I do think that there needs to be some sort of assurance of, you know, transparency in the sense that you see what the different fees are and ensuring that your tickets purchased are going to be 100 percent valid. Or at the very least, if you're purchasing them from a, you know, from a from a third party, they offer some sort of refund protection. Um, you know, the third party sites are mm-hmm. clearly denoting that they are not 
affiliated or at least directly affiliated with the venue or a ticketing system and things like that. Mm-hmm. But I would hesitate like with the, you know, different, you know, Congress people. Um, I can't remember the gentleman, the congressman from New Jersey. Um, is it Bill Demerol? Pascarell or whatever? Yeah, Pascarell, yeah. 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 He's, um, you know, he, he's made it a, a, a project and just things like disclosing what ticket holds are. It's just kind of funny to me that it's like, Something well, like that is so fluid, and it's like what is, is like is like you know not to step on your answer or anything, but yep. like you know I went to that thing that was downtown at the uh, FTC, and it was kind of evident too that like most of these you know most of the people who were there from the FTC were not well versed enough on the industry to like really make a great deal of judgments, and then most of the people who were there representing whatever position they were presenting uh, had no interest in like figuring out like where there was like working around and working together. (laughs) So, so I mean, it's like, it's really going, it's going to be, I think it's going to be a, however it shakes out a, um, um, like a hard Brexit. It'll be like a hard break and it's going to be like (laughs) a very disruptive process. Yeah, uh, (laughs) definitely. And I just think that again, ensuring that, Ensuring that people are getting valid tickets is very important, but a lot of these other ancillary things are going to cause, there's going to be unintended consequences that just cause more, cause more problems. And like you said, I I think, again, it's the vocal minority, like people that are just kind of complaining about stuff, but most people just don't really care. They just want to ensure that they're getting, they they just want to ensure that when they get that ticket on their phone or God forbid they actually get a hard ticket. That's kind of a, a dying breed, um, but uh, that that's gonna that's gonna get them that's gonna get them in. And if they really want to go and see something, they want to they don't want to get stopped at the door because right. that's like the worst thing ever. And it's the worst thing ever too. Like when you're on the other side trying to fix what. Sometimes you would have to tell people like I'm sorry, like you can't, you know this this ticket isn't valid. Like you can't come in. And like maybe we have other tickets that we can sell you, but if the show is sold out. That sucks. You know, you spent however many hundreds of dollars. I mean, it does. It, it's, I mean, I, I, I get it, but what are you going to do? And, and people, way to sell empathy. Have, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, you wouldn't, you wouldn't phrase it that way, obviously in front of the customer, but just, you know, just kind of on the inside talking about it with another, uh, you know, another employee or whatever. It's like, you know, I get it. People, they might've spent money on hotels, on dinner. Like this was, this was date night and it's been ruined. And we can't really fi- we can't fix it for him in the moment, and it's like I don't know, like it's just I, I, it's it sucks. There's no other way to put that. That is a terrible that is a terrible customer service experience, and it's also terrible for the employees that can't really do or might not be in a position to do anything about it just because we don't have the the ticket inventory. But that being said, I think the public has gotten a little bit smarter on where to buy tickets, and I think some of these the resale sites, the quote unquote legitimate resale sites have gotten, you know, they've been acquiring tickets from like from better sources and they also offer the refund protection. So anecdotally, I've seen the issues of people getting turned away with no recourse less and less over the last like five years or so. Right. And well, this highlights like, I think two important things and I know you have to get running, which is like, number one, your venue should be offering refund protection. Uh, if you would like to find out more, just email me. I'll hook you up. Uh, <laughs> that was a shameless plug right there. Um, oh, hey, that's fine. For, hey, 
you know. Um, but the other thing, though, it does highlight is that it's very, your your partners are very very important, and I would just point people towards the um, the instance where Score Big collapsed, and mm-hmm. and the NATB uh, step, those members stepped in, and they had the two time refund uh, protection, you know, refund guarantee, whatever the thing is, um, and you know, and they they saved thousands of fans who had been otherwise. Um, would have been harmed by something that was outside of their control. And I only highlight that because, you know, people have bought these tickets from a place that they thought was completely reputable. Um, and they went under with like no recourse for people. And then, the, you know, having partners on the other side of, you know, that were reputable business folks, they did step in and they did help out. And I think it just highlights the importance of part having the right partners and, um, you know, sometimes making sure that like having those right partners who will do the right thing, even if it's painful, is very important. Um, you know, and I think that really like that this situation, again, highlights that. And I think that's an ongoing thing. But I think that's true in every business is like having the right partners and the right associates is just tremendously important. Absolutely. Um, but Gary, I know you have to get rocking. Um, where can people find you on the Internet besides LinkedIn, where you now Mr. LinkedIn? <laughs> yes. Uh, and then you can always uh, you can always find me uh, on Twitter at Garrett Nolan, two R's, two T's and Garrett. Um, you know, I, I do like to share a lot of ticketing related content. And then, uh, you know, on Sundays, you will also see me tweeting about the sportsmen on our TVs. Oh, yeah. Go Pats. And you know, all of your uh, your trips to all the special games around L.A., which I, I enjoy because, you know, like the weather's always better in L.A. than it is in D.C. But Garrett, <laughs> thank you for doing this. The sunshine tax. That's why we pay all the high taxes. That's exactly right. I, 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 we should all be so, so fortunate to have a sunshine tax. <laughs> what did you think of my conversation with Garrett Nolan? Let me know by sending me an email at my name, Dave, at DaveWakeman.com. You can find out what I'm up to by visiting my website. It's www.DaveWakeman.com, where you can find my blog. You can find a media section with articles and stories i'm quoted in media appearances all that stuff you can also find my fancy store where i'm going to put up some special reports there's a a couple of workshops and some webinars all kinds of stuff going up there Um, if you are a fan of the podcast i'd love it if you'd do me a favor and share it with someone a colleague friend or someone you think would benefit from one of the conversations like the one today with garrett nolan or any of the other great business of fun podcasts that i have done with people like simon mab and lauren teague Martin Gameltoff, and many, many more. It's Richard Howell, even. Um, as always, I want to thank my friends at Booking Protect for being such great partners to the Business of Fun podcast. Any listing, any sector, anywhere, Booking Protect has you covered with the world's most comprehensive refund protection product. Go to their website, www.bookingprotect.com, and find out how you and your organization can become a partner of theirs and deliver world-class customer service to your guests, a better, more comprehensive, and customizable buying experience, and how you and your organization can create a stream of new revenue. Also, you should come to Sydney, Australia, if you can, to see me and Simon Mab. Booking Protect CEO at the Ticketing Professionals Conference in Sydney on the 14th and 15th of November. I'll be giving the opening keynote about change, and I'll be talking on such things as innovation, risk, 
uh, change, obviously, that's in the title, and a whole lot more. It's going to be great. Um, I think Simon and I are going to try to do maybe a happy hour or something the night before the 13th of November. So if you're going to be in Sydney and you want to catch up with us, send me an email, daviddavewakeman.com, and I'll let you know what we're up to. Also, I would like to say if you're going to be in Melbourne on 18th of November, I'm going to be doing a one-day workshop in Melbourne called Fans for Life, Creating and Keeping the Modern Fan. And it is going to be a culmination of about a year and a half, two years of research into how you market and sell tickets in the modern economy. I am going to bring all kinds of new ideas out specifically for this workshop, including lifetime fan value, the fan marketing funnel. Um, We're going to talk about how to use subscriptions. We're going to talk about how to use merchandise to open relationships, Uh, what a content marketing strategy should look like for a sports or experience organization. We are going to talk about rethinking revenue. We're going to talk about strategy, value, um, customer focus, uh, customer bill of rights, a fan first approach, all kinds of stuff. You can get that website. You can get that workshop by sending me an email, daviddavewakeman.com, and I'll send you the link, or there's a link in the show notes. It's on Eventbrite. You can search fans for life, and it should come up right away. As always, I want to finally thank you for being such great listeners of the Business of Fun podcast. It means the world to me that you're here, and until next time, I'll talk to you soon. Take care.